Bed Bath & Beyond has been falling for years as it has struggled to execute a turnaround as market share has been stolen by competitors and the company has just struggled to come back from its former glory. But why did Bed Bath & Beyond rise and fall? And what lessons can we learn as investors? Let's talk about it today on Stock Stories. My name is Alex Mason and I am your stock storyteller. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. We decode the business behind the stock and we're going through every company in the S&P 500. We've studied 142 companies on the show so far since we launched in 2018 and I'm ready for more, ready for 2023 and we're going to go through some more companies. So let's talk about Bed Bath & Beyond. The way that this is structured is first, we're going to talk about the company history. Then we're going to talk about the business model a little bit, and then we'll dig into the financials and try to understand where this business has been, where it might go. And a lot has happened in Bed Bath & Beyond's history. So I want to go ahead and talk about that now. Let's first talk about the history of Bed Bath & Beyond, ticker symbol BBBY. Now it all started back in 1971. This was the year that two retail executives named Leonard Feinstein and Warren Eisenberg decided to join forces and start their own business. And they saw that the retail landscape in America was shifting. People weren't just shopping at general stores anymore. People wanted to shop at specialty stores. And they realized that there was an opportunity here. So they left their existing positions they had some retail experience already, and they launched a company called Bed and Bath in suburban New York. Now, this was a 2,000 square foot facility in a strip mall. It was a single store, and they marketed it as a place for people to shop for specialty items for their bedrooms and their bathrooms and their homes. And it ended up being pretty successful because customers got access to high quality goods that were difficult to get elsewhere and the entire store was just dedicated to just those items. And think about this concept. At the time, you had to kind of go to a general store and maybe there was one little section where you could get those kinds of items. Well, now you have an entire store dedicated to those items. So consumers really liked that and the store started taking off. And they grew relatively slowly, but by 1985, they had over 17 stores in several states across the nation. So it was kind of a slow start for them, but their New York store was successful and they started expanding. Now, at this point, there was some competition from other retail businesses because the founders weren't the only ones to realize, hey, we're onto some kind of special idea here with specialty stores. Other companies wanted to compete, but because the industry was so, so fragmented and new at that time, the competition didn't really hurt uh, bed and bath that much. They just kept expanding. So they decided though, that there was something that they wanted to do to get ahead of the competition. And this was the invention of the superstore. This was a brand new concept that was just starting to take hold around the 1980s or so. And basically what this was, 
is instead of having just a regular store dedicated to specialty brands, they decided to scale that up and say, you know what, we're going to make this mega store that customers can come into and shop for seemingly endless items. And that's why they changed the name of the business from bed and bath to bed, bath and beyond. <laughs> and so that's where bed, bath and beyond the name was born is because they had this superstore concept and they increased their store size by 10 times. They went from 2000 square feet per store to over 20,000 square feet per location. So pretty incredible increase in size there. And they carried dozens and dozens of choices and consumers like that because they had more options. You walk into the store, they could find, say they're shopping for towels. It's not just one or two different types of towels. There's several brands. And then each of those brands has several colors or textures. And it's like, whoa, there's a lot of options here. And that was really the secret ingredient to Bed Bath & Beyond success during this phase around the 80s and 90s. And there were some things that Bed Bath & Beyond did to differentiate themselves further. They wanted to increase this, this brand of kind of larger than life, right? They wanted customers to really love coming to their stores. So they did a couple of things. They arranged these large vertical displays in the store and then stacked inventory literally from the floor all the way down to the ceiling or all the way up to the ceiling. <laughs> And that kind of gave us an impression that it was larger than life. And then they also arranged seasonal items near the front of the store so that people would have more impulse purchases. They group products by category within the store, making it seem like there are multiple kind of mini stores within the larger store. So there's these different retail innovations that Bed Bath & Beyond did that their, that their competitors did not really do that led to them increasing their success. Now, by 1991, Bed Bath & Beyond was becoming even more successful. And from a financial perspective, they were doing really well. They had reached over $134 million in sales, and they had over $10 million in profit. So again, still very small in the grand scheme of things. Like there are businesses that were way, way bigger than Bed Bath & Beyond at the time. But it was starting to show signs of a lot of growth. By 1991, Bed Bath & Beyond reached over $134 million in sales with $10 million in profit. Now, in 1992, the company had its initial public offering and went public on the stock exchange. And the very next year, in 93, the company had well over $234 million in sales, which is phenomenal growth over just a two-year period. I mean, just a $100 million increase in revenue. They literally almost doubled their revenue, which is, which is really awesome. But the profit only went up by $6 million. They made $16 million in profit in 1993. Now, this is great on the surface, but you can already kind of see the business model revealing itself here. And here's what I mean. When your revenue doubles, but your profits only go up by 60%, that means that your margins are decreasing. The money you're taking home as a result of that growth is greater in absolute terms, but on a percentage basis, not so much. So to me, this clues me in as an investor thinking, hey, the scalability of this business model is there, but the profitability is going to suffer as this company grows. And it kind of makes sense because when you go all in on a superstore concept, 
you have tons of facilities to maintain, and that means lots and lots of capital expenditures. I mean, the aisles are full of inventory. You have to ship goods back and forth. There's a lot of costs involved in running that kind of a business. So you can already kind of see the business model. But let's continue in the timeline of the company. Now, the company kept thriving throughout the 90s. They were growing around the country, growing the number of stores. And by 1999, they experienced really rapid growth. Their revenue surpassed a billion dollars. And then in 2000, they had $2 billion in sales. Again, incredibly fast growth. And they had hundreds of stores. One of the great things about this business during this time period is that from a financial perspective, they had no debt. So there's no debt on the balance sheet. They had a ton of cash and they were redeploying it into building new stores, more and more stores. That was basically the name of the game for Bed Bath & Beyond during this high growth phase. Now it was around this time that Bed Bath & Beyond invented a big marketing phenomenon, which was their big blue coupon. You may have seen these in the mail years ago. You may even still see them, but they're these 20% off coupons. And it was kind of interesting how these coupons came about because executives realized that if they try to create some kind of an ad or, or a discount for their customers that was specific to certain products, it would cost them a lot of money to maintain records and keep track of which items had discounts and which items did not have discounts. So they decided, you know what, what does the consumer really want? They just want to save money. So we're going to send a 20% off coupon directly to their door, and that's going to entice them to get off the couch and come over and buy something from us. They realized that 10% off was just not really a big enough incentive for people to shop with them, but 30% off was too much. They might lose money if they try to do that. So 20% was kind of that sweet spot. And so they had this huge mailing campaign around the country for years and years where they just shipped these coupons to people's doorsteps, like inundated them. It's one of the biggest mailer campaigns in, I think, the history of American capitalism, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. So this was really successful, successful for them. People came out in droves to use your 20% off coupons, and that led to even further growth for the business. Now, as often happens with businesses that scale up and start to experience a certain level of prosperity, they often want to buy other related businesses and have acquisitions. So this is what happened with Bed Bath & Beyond in the early 2000s and actually throughout the 2010s even. So there's a number of businesses that Bed Bath & Beyond ended up acquiring. And these were Harmon's, Christmas Tree Shops, Bye Bye Baby, Linens and Things, and World Market. And I want to take a couple of minutes to just kind of describe what happened with all of these acquisitions. Because I think it's important to look at how a company is spending its cash and what the returns ended up being, because that's ultimately going to influence your returns as a shareholder in the business. So Harmon's, this is a grocery chain that was acquired by Bed Bath & Beyond in 2002. And Christmas tree shops, a specialty decor shop purchased in 2003, Bye Bye Baby, a baby, uh, basically it's like a baby store. If you've ever been there, they have all sorts of any kind of stroller <laughs> that you want, all sorts of baby related items. This was purchased in 2007. Uh, Linens and Things, which is the parent company is called Linen Holdings, 
they were a really big competitor of Bed Bath & Beyond back in the day, but eventually Bed Bath & Beyond kind of outcompeted them and was able to purchase them in 2012. And in that same year, 2012, management purchased World Market, which you may be familiar with that, that store. It's kind of, a, kind of a mix of different decor objects, uh, artistic objects. And so let's look at how much the company paid for these. So in 2002, the company bought Harman's. They paid $24 million for it. Bed Bath & Beyond actually still owns Harman's as of 2023, but they went from 30 stores in 02 to just 20 stores in 2023. So over 20 years passed and they have less stores now than they used to. Now I would call that a failed acquisition. Christmas tree shops, $200 million was how much they purchased it for in 2003. In 2020, the business was sold along with linens and things for 250 million. So not much of a return there. And then Bye Bye Baby cost $67 million. The company still owns the Bye Bye Baby brand. Um, they did increase their store counts, but I don't think it's been super successful for them. Linens and things cost $105 million and it was sold in a bundle along with Christmas tree shops for that 250 million I just mentioned. And then World Market cost $495 million in 2012. We're talking about half a billion to acquire this business. And in 2020, it got sold for $110 million. That's a terrible loss of capital. So you can see how important the concept of acquisitions can be in telling a company's story. Sometimes acquisitions can be a great thing. They can really fuel business growth and innovation and shareholder returns. But other times, it's just kind of a waste of money. And we see that here with these numerous examples. All right, just let's just talk about the business model for a minute. I mean, Bed Bath & Beyond, it's pretty straightforward. They sell home decor. They have over 953 stores across the United States. I was surprised when I realized just how many stores they had, like almost a thousand uh, across the nation and over 770 of them are the Bed Bath & Beyond brand. And then the other ones that aren't Bed Bath & Beyond, they're stores like the Bye Bye Baby brand. And one thing that's important to note is in 2021, the company closed 70 of their stores. So it just shows you that the business is really in decline. When re a retailer is closing stores, that's not good because they're not making money with those stores. And these are just an example of some of the types of items you can get at Bed Bath & Beyond these days. You can buy blankets, you can buy plush robes that are fancy $50 robes. <laughs> you can buy your KitchenAid mixer for your kitchen, all sorts of little gadgets and nice things to have around the house. Those are the things that they sell. But what's the problem with this business model? Well, you can buy all of these types of things in a lot of other places, especially online these days. I mean, Amazon alone accounts for so much competition for a business like this. And that's reflected in the financials, which we're gonna get to actually right now. So let's go ahead and take a look at some numbers for Bed Bath & Beyond so we can get a better sense of how this business was using its capital in the past and what's going on today? What should we consider with the stock now? Well, this is an example of the selected financial data. I pulled this from the annual report from 2018. So 
there's a various amount of data here going back from 2013 to 2017. And I just want to show a couple of things here. First of all, I want to point out back in 2013, 2012, actually, fiscal year, 10 billion in sales, almost 11 billion in sales. This is a company that was making a lot of money. Um, the net earnings, they were making over a billion dollars in profit. So, okay, yeah, they scale pretty nicely. They're making money. Their net earnings per share was $4.56. Great. Fast forward five years to 2018. Net earnings per share, $4.58. That means their earnings per share basically was flat compared to five years prior. But that's not what intrigues me most about this income statement. What intrigues me most is when I look at the dividends declared per share. <laughs> now, this is not a company that paid dividends throughout its entire history. But in 2017, they decided, you know what? We're going to start paying dividends to shareholders. And they started paying 50 cents a share to kind of appease their investors. Now, when your sales are almost flat and your earnings per share, your profits are declining, why are you paying dividends to shareholders? You need to be fixing your business. You don't reward shareholders with the money that you've already got when you desperately need to reinvest and reinvent your business model. But yet, that's what we see happening. The net earnings in 2013 were a billion dollars, but the net earnings in 2017 were under 700 million. Okay, let's go ahead and look at Bed Bath & Beyond's more recent financial history to see what we can learn there. So I have pulled up right now the 10K, the most recent 10K showing the full year 2021 fiscal data for Bed Bath & Beyond. And here's what I see. It's a couple of interesting things. Uh, first of all, you'll notice that the sales continue to decline from 2019 to 2021, $11 billion in revenue down to less than $8 billion in revenue. I mean, that should be causing management to be like red alert, red alert. We need to turn around right now. And then also, if we look down here at the bottom line of the income statement, they lost $559 million in 2021. So pretty big deal. One thing that sticks out to me too is looking at the shares outstanding. Now, the company had 124 million shares outstanding in 2019, or at the beginning of 2020, rather. And then at the beginning of 2022, they had 99 million, which means they've been buying back stock. Now, why would management buy back stock when their business is in trouble? They're literally spending billions of dollars on buybacks. Well, it's to, I think, to enrich themselves in the short term. I mean, why else would you do that? You're trying to keep the stock price from falling further. So you're trying to increase your earnings per share. But I don't know for sure, but that behavior just seems really off to me. Like, why would you do that? You need to deploy that money into innovation, into, into fixing your e-commerce business, into finding some other way to keep the ship from sinking. But Bed Bath & Beyond chose to buy back shares instead. They did cut their dividend, which I think was a responsible thing to do. Now, looking a little bit further at the balance sheet of the business, they have a lot of money tied up in inventories. I see $1.7 in inventories. And I mean, that's like way more than their cash hoard. Their cash hoard has declined significantly over the years too. And then if we look at their long-term debt, they have over a billion dollars in debt as well. So all in all, the balance sheet is deteriorating for this business. And financially, it's just 
really struggling right now, not like it once did. I want to share with you now an email correspondence that I had with a listener of the show all the way back in 2018. A listener brought Bed Bath & Beyond to my attention, actually, and I did look into it a little bit around that time, even though I didn't produce an episode on it. Um, I want to read for you now some of the notes that I sent back to this listener after doing some initial research, because I think it's interesting looking back in hindsight about what has transpired with the company. And I think there's some lessons that you'll be able to pull from this. So here's the email that I, I wrote to this listener. I said, ah, Bed Bath & Beyond, that is an interesting situation. I went ahead and took a quick look at their financials. I had no idea that they also own Bye Bye Baby and World Market. When I look at this, here's what I see. A company making around $0.4 billion per year, which has been declining over the past few years, sales of around $12 billion that have been stable over the past few years, cost of sales around $7.9 billion that have been gradually increasing, a nice dividend yield but a short history of payment, a trend of decreasing share buybacks despite the fact that the stock has been getting cheaper the past few years, $0.7 billion in cash, $1.4 billion in debt, $2.8 billion in shareholders' equity, but that's virtually all the inventories that they have and may have questionable value long-term. As a prospective investment, the way I look at this company is as a potential turnaround. I'm not convinced that they are going to turn around, though. I don't really assign much value to their inventory, so to me, their debt-to-equity ratio is really high. This is a company that had no long-term debt from 1997 all the way up until 2015. That is a really nice track record for a balance sheet. The good thing is they haven't borrowed more, but they haven't paid off much either. The questions that come to mind are, what happens if sales decrease? How is the company going to continue its dividend policy as well as repurchase stock, as well as reinvest in its business, as well as manage its relatively new interest expenses? If the balance sheet looked the way it did back in 2014, I'd be a lot more interested. The company is currently being valued at $1.9 billion. If there was no debt on the balance sheet, that would be great. What it seems like management is doing is trying to slow the pain of decreased profits by appeasing shareholders with short-term dividend payments, slowly paying down their debt and slowing down share repurchases. But what about sales and profit growth though? The reinvestment of capital expenditures has been stable over the past few years. However, the minimum lease obligations over the next five years is $3 billion. Damn, that seems like a lot of future commitments for a company making $0.4 billion per year and no signs of increasing profits. But I looked at some of the older annual reports. Bed Bath & Beyond seemed like a pretty good business. They had good sales, cash flows, and a spotless balance sheet. The issue they face now is with high structural costs that they've locked themselves into, some debt that they now owe, and dividend commitments that they have decided to make. When your visa growing at 15 or 20% per year, you can do those kinds of things and still thrive. But Bed Bath & Beyond needs to figure out a way to monetize its current retail locations. They have made acquisitions of various online retailers in the past few years, but it isn't seeming to help them compete. They need to find a way to update their or when the next recession comes around, they're going to be toast. This isn't to say I would never be interested in shares though. If there was a situation where they were trading at less than the cash in the bank and they had no debt, I might be interested in a shorter term Benjamin Graham style investment where you kind of like flip a stock. For example, in 2013, they had 1 billion in cash and no debt. Now at the time they had 227 million shares outstanding. 
So if the shares traded for lower than $4.40 per share, it would have been highly attractive. But the stock price was going crazy around that time, around $60 per share. So it wasn't the case. Now, that's what I sent to that listener. And you can see that there's a lot of things I said there. But I hope that you learned from kind of my thoughts there that Bed Bath & Beyond, it once was a really great business, but they didn't pivot fast enough. And as a result, because of the structural cost of their business, they just kind of slowly ran down and the quality of earnings went lower and lower. So let that be a lesson. So would I buy shares of Bed Bath & Beyond right now, even though the stock price has come down significantly? No, I would not touch it because the quality of the business has deteriorated, not to mention now that the stock has become a meme stock, there's a lot of volatility in the shares that didn't exist before. Now, could someone profit from that volatility? Absolutely. But that's not the kind of investor I think that I want to be, so I'm not doing it. But those are my thoughts on Bed Bath & Beyond, and it really was a thriving business at one point in time. But it's just an example of how the life cycle of business can change. And if you do not innovate, if you do not adapt, and if you do not manage your internal finance as well, you're really going to struggle. With that, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stock Stories. Stay tuned for even more episodes on more companies. I've got a lot planned this year. And have a great day.